Welcome to Solve This Murder. I'm your detective, Bill. And I'm your crime scene criminal and witnesses and Hastings, Danny. Were you also the Hastings? I think I have to be for this one. So we're doing something a little bit different with this one. Something that we did originally when we were creating this show. This is not an original murder mystery. Sorry. This is a public domain murder mystery. (laughs) This is our version of The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is the first ever Poirot novel. Yeah, so it's getting to be... Like, uh, I, I want to say we're using this as a bit of a warm-up to get back into things. It's been a while since we've done one. I've still got one ready and waiting. We've got one in waiting. the chamber. It's in the chamber. It's ready to go. But I've forgotten how to do this. We're taking a slightly... I don't know if it's easier, but different. It's a lot more guided. You are not going to be able to go in every possible direction. I suppose that's true, because there are certain directions for which no information exists. Yeah, we are limiting this so far. This is a 13-chapter book. We're limiting what happens right now to the first four chapters. Ooh, okay. So we're going. So we're going to... in, say, in installments of Pretty the story. Pretty much. Now pay attention to how it goes. It is pretty reasonable to expect that this might be an order that you would do things in. Okay. So I'll see if you end up going in the right directions organically before saying no. Sorry, that's not what Poro did. It'll be interesting if I go in the right directions organically. It'll be really interesting to look at that and contrast it to how we've written them before. Mm, Because I think for for the last one we did, I think for the hairdresser homicide, I pretty much went the directions you needed me to go organically because of the the way you controlled the story compared to early ones where I didn't. So it'll be interesting to see. There were a couple of forced moments that I just said, and when it's the right moment, this character enters. So Uh, I could control how organic it actually was. I really enjoyed hairdresser homicide. Mm. Be, and I and I felt yeah, like I, I didn't feel and I didn't feel corralled. I felt like I was just doing what made sense in the situation. Mm. It'll be interesting to think about that afterwards. But absolutely. So for this one, this is if you've read it before, you'll know who did it. Um, this will be all the more interesting for you. But I don't. I don't know who who did it. We. I feel like we never owned this Agatha Christie. So I read a lot of Poirot before we had this. Or maybe we didn't have it available to me. I'm not sure. So I've read a lot of Poirot novels. Yeah, this is very hard to say because obviously we've got the book singing in front of us. I have no idea when we got this mm. version of this particular book. But I'm happy to go to start. Um, does that make me Does that make me Poirot? You are going to be Poirot. Oh, wonderful. Does he even appear in the first four chapters? Yes. Well, he does now because he's me. <laughs> do I have to do a Poirot voice the entire time? God, no. It will cause me immeasurable distress if you do. And as Hastings, a recently wounded war vet, I don't think you should be adding to my troubles. Ah, but I know that as Poirot, annoying Hastings is something that I would quite enjoy. So mm, Not yet. To, they haven't known know. each other for that long. I don't know what to do here. All right. Well, I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't know how this starts. I don't know how we get going. <laughs> One of the first things that happens is that uh, Hastings tells his guests, ah, oh, man, I met a friend in Belgium a while ago. Uh, I, I'd really like to fancy myself a Sherlock Holmes-style detective. I think that'd be fun. That'd be the dream. And yeah, so I met this dude once. He taught me a thing or two. I mean, I far eclipsed him now, obviously. It's just a bit of a lark. But uh, yeah. Okay. So I've got to prove you young whippersnapper wrong. <laughs> yes, I am also uh, uh, a small boy of 30, which mm. is ridiculous. All right. Well, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Set the scene. Paint me, paint me the scene. Let's go to Styles. All right. Is Styles so, a place? It must be a place. It's Styles St. Mary is, seems to be what the whole area is called. Right, That's what the go, station is called, at least. St. Mary made. Yeah, you're staying in the area quite nicely because a certain old rich matriarchal woman has opened her area to a few refugees for, who oh, have lost okay. their homes during the war. How, how nice yeah. of her. What's her name? Uh, Mrs. Inglethorpe is her name I'm at write the down moment. 
Mrs. Inglethorpe. Wait a minute. Her name at the moment. Mm. Oh, well, sorry. That's her most recent married name. Oh, I see. Not it's about to change. <laughs> no, quite the opposite. Okay, wonderful. And I happen to be here to recuperate because uh, John Cavendish, who is her stepson, he's an old acquaintance. I ran into him. I needed somewhere to spend some time recuperating. Finally gotten out of that disgusting wounded veterans hospital. Yes, of course. And so, yeah, we just happen to Surprising they have a hospital specifically for the disgusting wounded veterans, but, you know. (laughs) I suppose that was the early 1900s. So, yeah, just by sheer coincidence, we happened to run into each other at one point, and we just said hello, goodbye, whatever. Wonderful. But then, a couple of days later, I have come running to your door to tell you there has just been a death in this house at Styles. Oh, no. I have a sneaking suspicion, and I'm pretty sure the doctor here does too, that it was murder. And I reckon that if you get in quickly, you might be able to discover some things. Am I staying at the house or am I staying in a separate house? You are staying at a separate area? house. I'm staying at the house. Now, just, just to appease my sense of propriety and how the show goes, could you possibly have Hastings uh, call me up oh. and, and, uh, and I, explain the situation? It's 1920. Did they have phones in the country uh, in 1920? I, I don't know, but you just can you make the call? I honestly don't feel like I have seen evidence of a phone okay, in this book. Okay, fine. Can, can, like, can you when they say, Hastings? oh my God, call the doctor, they go in their car. Okay, so someone's, someone's been murdered. At the yes, end. please, okay. and look, I've been staying here for a couple of days now. I'm pretty sure I've committed everything, important and unimportant to memory. Uh, I can tell you everything about what's been happening over the last few days. Oh, but Hastings, you said you've eclipsed me as a detective. No, 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 please, why don't you solve this one? No, my my old brain could never stand. You're the Sherlock Holmes type. Please, please, you tell me who's murdered the man. Well, see, the thing is, I'm already an acquaintance, and you know how people, like, they sort of... Ah, the, uh, you're They trust be outsiders biased. a little more. Uh, of course, of course. Mm. All right, well, um, who do we know who's died? Well, it's Mrs. Inglethorpe. Oh, no. Mrs. So that's why it was her name. Now her name is, <laughs> is ex-Mrs. Inglethorpe. She's died and you think it's murder? Well, it seemed like the doctor believed so. It really came all of a sudden. I mean, she was a little bit older. She was in her 70s. Oh, well. In the middle of the night, she had some sort of fit. And when the doctor came in, he turned to the other doctor and they had a little bit of a private conversation and then came in and said that they wouldn't be able to sign the death certificate under these circumstances. So I'm Obviously pretty sure. they don't sure. know whether it's a murder or not. Yeah, they, oh they aren't prepared, so they want to do a full post-mortem and everything. So I'm pretty sure that what they're discussing in the background is they think that it may have been poisoning. Ah, uh, interesting. Probably strychnine or... I fully support strychnine poisoning. It, like I, That was my first thought. I'm so glad we're on the same page, Poirot. <laughs> Thank Hastings. Um, Legitimately, in the book, first thing he does after the murder, he waits five minutes, runs to the library to look up strychnine poisoning. Can I talk to the doctor about the death? Oh, not at this stage. They're very busy right now. You've got me. I've got you, Hastings. So you're my... my... Yeah, I can tell you everyone who's there, uh, everything that's happened in the lead up. There's been some wild stuff happening. You sure you don't want to hear about that before you start interviewing people? Well, I was thinking I might go and look at the body, but that's just me talking, I suppose. (laughs) Tell me about the death. Tell me about how she died. She had a fit in the night. Is that consistent with strychnine? Do I, would I know this as Poirot? What you would know is that strychnine poisoning uh, tends to come on quite quickly after ingestion. Oh, okay. Did she eat or, or drink anything before going to bed? Oh, goodness. Did I pay any attention to that? I mean, she definitely uh, she had a coffee right before retiring to her bed. Um, okay. Did she eat much? I don't. She was a bit flustered throughout the afternoon. I don't think she ate much for dinner. Well, the coffee, surely you could, strychnine could be 
could be administered through drink. Easily. Mm, so maybe a poisoned coffee. Do we still have the cup? That, I assume, would be in the bedroom. Uh, it was a bit of a mess uh, with everything, and we all broke in there to see if she was all right. Well, you say you all broke in there. What, well, yes. what constitutes you all? Oh, I should tell you, the people who were in the house at the time, over in the left, in the left half of the house, the left wings. Yes. Near the floor. Sure. I had a bedroom. Opposite me was Lawrence Cavendish, the younger stepson. Oh, I see. So the, the brother of John Cavendish? Exactly. Lawrence. And is that with a U or a W? A W. You were, you were opposite in the hall? Yes, Your yes. rooms are opposite each other, on the, on the left side of the house? Uh-huh, that's All right, right. wonderful. And then after that was Mary Cavendish, John's wife, mm-hmm. who is around 40 and an absolute knockout, apparently. I'll just put hot in brackets. She is mega hot. All right, wonderful. And then, I don't know why you're telling me this, Hastings. It doesn't seem relevant to the murder, but oh, maybe it does. who can say? And then there's uh, John, also on Opposite the left. Mary. Next to Mary's room. I can show you the map, if you like. Oh, please. Oh, wow, there's a little map. This book has a little map. I didn't know this. Oh, there are two spare rooms beside you. Oh, yes, there are lots of spare rooms. This is a very big house. The Belgians haven't made it yet, I guess. Yes, I'm not even in the house. No, I'm not sure how much property Mrs. Cavendish owns or how much she was just saying, come to our town and there'll be room for you probably. And who was on the, um, I I know I've just looked, but you can tell me who was on the other side of the house? Okay, so right in the centre of the right-hand side, there was Mrs. Inglethorpe herself. She had the main room, obviously. It's her house. Off to one side of that, uh, Alfred Inglethorpe, her um, relatively new husband. Oh, relatively new husband. Yes. How long have they been together? All I have been told is not exceptionally long, and it's been quite a point of contention. He's about 20 years younger than her, and everybody in the house has no doubt that it's just straight up money. You think he's married her for the money and would profit from her death? Without a doubt. Mm, Interesting. Well, case closed. I mean, that that was kind of how Mrs. Inglethorpe herself got all of this anyway. She married... Oh, she married an older man? She married Mr. Cavendish, uh, Father Cavendish. Father Cavendish. He was super wealthy as a widower with these two boys. She married in, completely swept him away, and he left her everything. Absolutely everything. How long ago was this? Oh, that was quite some time ago. Interesting. The boys were... Boys. Well, no, they were fairly young when they married uh, initially. They were old enough when their father died that it was a bit of a sting that they didn't really get much themselves. Uh, of course. Mm. Of course, it would have all gone to the wife and they're expecting an inheritance. Yes, and now that Alfred Inglethorpe has come in and seems to be doing exactly the same thing, they're feeling a little bit put out. Interesting. And it, it wouldn't make so much sense for them to kill her for the inheritance, knowing that it would go to the husband. It feels like they should kill them both or kill neither. One would think. Mm. And who is in the final room? That's uh, Miss Cynthia Murdoch. And who is Cynthia Murdoch? Well, Mrs. Inglethorpe had an old friend who married a bit of a scoundrel and she and her young daughter were left completely destitute. So about two years ago, Cynthia, the daughter, came and started living here. She doesn't work in the house. She has her own job, but you know, she does what she can for Mrs. Inglethorpe. I mean, everyone does. Oh, of course, of course. She has her own job. Do you know where she works? Or what At she the does? hospital. At the hospital? Yes. The strychnine centre? I mean, quite possibly. Uh, she works, oh, what's it called again? The, uh, the uh, dispensary. Oh, the dispensary. So she has access to poisons. Well, the first thing I said to her when I met her was, and how many people have you poisoned today? And oh, then what she, an odd thing to say, Hastings. It was a joke, and she later said that everybody says that. 
That's that shocks me even more. What a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> and uh, just to make it even worse, she ended up saying, "Yeah, people wouldn't make that joke so much if they knew exactly how careful we had to be about this sort of thing. It could be really easy to do that." That's fair. You say you say you all burst into Mrs. Inglethorpe's room to, mm. to, and cause a disarray. Were all of you here, or was it only a, a subset of the guests? Only a subset, a very peculiar one. So it was Lawrence who first heard it, and he came. Uh, he woke me and John and Mary up, as far as I know. Well, he woke me up. I don't know if he woke the others up or if it was John or Mary who first noticed it. But the Cavendishes, in general, noticed it. They were up. They got me, and we're the big tough men. So we tried to open the door. We, apparently there had just been some strange noises of pain coming from Mrs. That's what Lawrence noticed. Yes coming from Mrs. Inglethorpe's bedroom, so we figured, oh no, she's ill. She's in her 70s. This is not unusual. So we tried to open her door. It was bolted from the inside. That's not the biggest problem because the two adjoining rooms, Mr. Inglethorpe's and Cynthia's, have adjoining doors in there. Ooh, okay. So we went to Mr. Inglethorpe's. His room was not locked. He was not in there, and his room showed no signs of having been slept in. In Alfred? Yes, Alfred Inglethorpe. Have you seen him since? I have very briefly as I was on my way here. Well, tell me in a moment, mm. please. However, the door between his room and his wife's room was also bolted from her side, so we couldn't get in there. Went into Cynthia's. Mary Cavendish was trying to wake up Cynthia. Apparently, she's the heaviest sleeper in the world. But the door was bolted from that end as well, and apparently that one always is, so no luck there. But eventually we went, great, there's no better way, and this door seems like the weakest. We bashed it in. From Cynthia's room? Uh, the door that we broke through was the one from Alfred's room into Mrs. Inglethorpe's. You and the Cavendish boys? Exactly. Interesting. You say boys. They're both older than me. Was Mary with you? Yes, but she was mostly tending to Cynthia, trying to wake her up. Of course. When Cynthia noticed what was going on, she freaked out a bit. Uh, okay, so we've actually... She was having a complete exorcist-like fit on the bed, Mrs. Inglethorpe. We did all of the usual remedies. We pressed a hand against her forehead. We fetched her some brandy, all of that. She uh, was... <laughs> She's dying. Put a hand on her forehead and fetch <laughs> her some brandy. Nice uh, work, Hastings. Yeah. And you call yourself a soldier, <laughs> a medic, an army medic. Was he an army medic? No, I'm thinking of I Dr. Watson. I don't believe so. A couple of the servants uh, heard what was going on and came about, so we asked the parlour maid to wake someone to get the doctor. And by coincidence... Another doctor, who was a family friend, was passing by. He ran up to Ooh. come and assist. A, a family friend? Yeah, doctor. Mary, know who they are? Mary Cavendish has a friend who's a doctor, Dr. Bowerstein. Bowerstein? In a totally uh, un-anti-Semitic way, I'm sure Hastings is very suspicious of him right away. <laughs> Lovely. Who's a friend of Cynthia's? Mary's. A friend of Mary's? Yes. And what someone as hot as her is doing with a friend like him, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, get out of here, Hastings, you <laughs> dummy. <laughs> So yeah, it seems like by complete coincidence, he was around and he has been hanging around a bit and been doing stuff. They've been doing stuff together. It's about five in the morning. So he happened to see the call that someone was racing for the car, yelling for a doctor. So he rushed in and he started taking a look at the patient. And as he came in, she seemed like she was getting a little bit better, Mrs. Inglethorpe. The attack seemed to be subsiding and she said, okay, okay, I'm better now. Stupid to lock myself in. And then... She started seizing up again, even worse than before, and she started calling out Alfred's name, and then she just died. After the doctor saw her? Yes. Did he do anything to her? Oh, not particularly, no. It was 
He was trying to do some respiration activities and things with her and just also some moving her body in a way that's a bit more of a recovery position sort of thing. Mm. But it didn't take long, I think, before all of us knew it wasn't really doing anything. You say the doctor arrived. She seemed like at that point that she was feeling better and then seized up again. Mm. Did the doctor attend to her before her second seizure? No. Sorry, that doctor came in during the second attack. Interesting. Poirot, quickly. His eyes glaze over and he jumps into his mind palace. See, I was thinking perhaps, like, maybe the first fit was literally just a, like, just a fit, just a, just a general thing. Mm. And then the doctor arrived, said, oh, is she okay? And then just injected her straight with, a, with something that killed her. The, the, that was not the poisoning. The poisoning happened afterwards. But if he didn't actually attend until the second seizure, then maybe that's not true. Although, hold on a second. Though you could also have have slipped poison. I go deeper into my mind palace. You could have also slipped poison into the brandy. I I was noting she had the coffee before she slept, then started having a fit. But if that was not a real, if that wasn't the the true thing, like touching her head, giving her some brandy, that could have been the moment the poison was was given. Uh, Hastings, Mm -hmm. Poirot's eyes. Yeah, I'm sorry if my recounting, it was very confused. No, 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 mon ami, it is okay. Uh, Do not worry your little head about it. That's how Poirot talks. You were saying you were, you were, you were touching her head and giving ridiculous medical practice. Okay. Touching her head and giving her brandy. Who gave her the brandy? It's a known cure. Uh, John did. John gave her the brandy. Yes, he called down to uh, Annie, one of the housemaids, and said, go get brandy, and then tended to the mother for a while. Ah, uh, but he didn't get the brandy himself. No. Unlikely that he <laughs> In a house it. like this? Are you kidding? Yeah. I also love Hastings. I'm like, who are the people in the house? And Hastings goes, here are all the people. And then they called the maid and the butler and the nurse. And it's like, what are you doing? No, they're not real people, though. Yep. They're servants. It's okay. Annie. A couple of them get names. Like Annie. Yeah. The parlor maid is Dorcas. Oh, Dorcas is a good name. That is the most old-fashioned name that no one would ever use mm-hmm. ever again. Can you imagine someone right now going, oh, here's my daughter. Her name is Dorcas. It's a toughie. A hundred years ago, you could call anybody Dorcas. Yeah. And everyone's like, what a beautiful name. She looked like such a Dorcas. She really has the eyes of a Dorcas. I've always thought it's a it's beautiful name, Dorcas. It's unusual for a girl's name to be the one that turns into the slur. I mean, did it? I think it's just a silly name. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think Dork oh, came no, from Dorcas? I don't at all, but it's just unusual. Dorcas. Oh, it's so bad. Okay. And who was, that was the one who went and got the doctor was Dorcas. Dorcas got the doctor? Yeah. Well, no. Uh, actually, I'm pretty sure Dorcas uh, told someone else, told Bailey to get the doctor. Bailey is fine. I'm happy with Bailey. I don't know who Bailey I'm accepting, is. I'm accepting of all Baileys. But if your name is Dorcas, I'm so sorry. What if sorry. it's Bailey without an E? Because it's Bailey without an E. It's still better than Dorcas. <laughs> okay. So, sorry. Let me, let me get this straight. She arrived. She was having a fit. Mm-hmm. Started having a seizure. John says... Annie, can you get me some brandy? And Dorcas, you call the doctor. And Dorcas went, All right, I'll, I'll call the doctor. My name's Dorcas. And she left. And then she said, Bailey, Bailey, you get the doctor. I'm Dorcas. Uh, mm-hmm. And Bailey said, Yeah, okay. I'll call the doctor. Ran out saying, Is there a doctor anywhere? And Dr. Bowerstein, who happened to be out at 5... Was he outside just going for a walk at 5am? It seems to be so. That's just most suspicious. Dr. Bowerstein explained how he had happened to be passing the lodge gates as the car came out. That's wild. Okay, so he's out at night poisoning people. It's 5am, but sure. And she... and, and, And Bailey says, 
oh, you're a doctor. And Dr. Bowser's well, like, oh, oh no, yeah. Not exactly. Uh, Bailey says, I'm going to get the doctor. Oh, and, and he went, oh, I'm up. a doctor too, and I know this family. Run in. Sure, sure. Uh, He's but, a doctor. But yeah, so the doctor they actually went to get was Mrs. Inglethorpe's personal doctor, Dr. Wilkins. And has he arrived since? Yes, he right, has, but... Uh, Dr. Bowser arrives just at the time of the second seizure, mm. where she seizes up and she says, Alfred! And then dies. Yes. After calling out for her new husband, who That's is nowhere right. to be seen. Correct. Dr. Bowstein arrives as mm-hmm. she's dying. Yep. He's Try, now here. Tries to administer some CPR. Tries to administer CPR. No dice. And then shortly after that, Dr. Wilkins showed up. Now Wilkins arrives. Yeah. Wilkins was very sad, but basically said, always against my advice, she did too much. She was way too active for her physical temperament. So these are just the things that happen. But Dr. Bowerstein sort of went, you know what? The convulsions were a little bit odd. Can I speak to you in private? So Bowerstein brought up the poison? Yes. That's interesting. If he was working with... He's a friend of Cynthia. If he was working with Cynthia... Mary. Oh, Mary, sorry. He's working with Mary. If he wanted this to be a murder, like, he wouldn't... We already had a doctor come in and declare it wasn't a murder. Mm. That takes a lot of suspicion off Bowerstein and off Mary. You Why know, would you bring the attention to it? Speaking of attention to it, after they went off, uh, I was talking to Mary, and Mary said, oh, what do you think that's all about? And... Her and then John and Lawrence mentioned it to all of them what my suspicions were. And your suspicions were poison? That they thought that she had been poisoned. John accepted that. Mary and Lawrence both said that was ridiculous. Interesting. Mary seemed almost afraid of it. Lawrence said, no, that's just a thing. Bowerstein, he, he likes poisons and that sort of thing. He probably sees them everywhere. Ah, uh, he's a bit of a, if all you have is a hammer. Exactly. If all you have is an antidote. <laughs> but when I suggested that I bring you in to maybe take a look, John was the one who said, yep, that seems worth doing. So while Bowerstein seems faultless in the fact that he's bringing attention to the poison, Perhaps. in a situation where no attention had been brought, Mary and Lawrence are a little bit, no, 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 we don't need to investigate poison. That'd be ridiculous. That's interesting, especially with the Mary and Bowerstein connection. Mary didn't even seem like she was saying, no, don't do that. She, you know what her words were? She, Mm. when I suggested poison, she went, not that, not that. Not that. And she went off to be on her own in distress. It almost makes it seem as if she knows someone who does a lot of poisoning. And she's like, no, no, not that, not that. That means it was Cynthia, my friend, Mm. the poisoner. Oh, no. Interesting. Well, you said you mentioned that Alfred has been seen since. Uh, yes, so I just saw him as I was coming here. He was coming back to the house. He said he'd been out with a friend. He ended up staying out a bit late, and then he realised he'd forgotten his key, so he just stayed at the friend's place. And he's only just heard about it because someone called him. There is a phone in this story. Ah, there you go. Try no, out. hold on. Uh, Dr. Wilkins knocked my friend up to tell him. Ow. So, nope. <laughs> Still no phones. And do we know who this friend is? His name's Denby. Denby? Denby! Oh, hey, Denby. And this was only because he didn't have his keys? Yeah. And he'd been out? Had you had he been at the house earlier the day, in the day? Dinner or lunch or anything? Oh, let me think about that. Uh, he was definitely with us for a lot of the evening. That's right. Uh, just after Mrs. Inglethorpe went to bed... We chatted for a little bit. 
But then uh, he said that he was going to go down to the village. Dr. Baustein was there as well and was just about to go home, so they left together. Inglethorpe said, yeah, I'll walk to the village with you because I'm going to see Denby, our agent, about some estate accounts. Okay, okay. And he said, don't bother staying up. I'll take a key. And then he didn't take a key. And he didn't take a key. And he didn't knock on the door because he didn't want to wake him. Exactly. Mm, Sounds like someone establishing an alibi to me. Yeah, who can trust an estate agent? Yeah, estate agents are all murderers. How do, they, how do you think they get all the estates? Well, I mean, the only one whose job you know so far is Cynthia's. Everyone else is an estate agent. Oh, no! Well, Hastings, you also said some strange things that happened earlier in the day? Oh, yes, that's right. You're really not going to ask what their jobs are? Oh, fine. What are all their jobs, Hastings? Well, Mary, she mostly just does stuff around here. Like She tends to the gardens and things like that. She helps out a lot around the estate. Lawrence and John. Now, they're the fun ones, because you remember, they intend they, they thought that they were going to have a lot of inheritance coming yes, that way. Yes, of course. So John, he was a barrister, but he settled down. He, he stopped that to be a country squire. What is a country squire? I don't know. That sounds like exactly the same thing that Mary's doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he only married Mary about two years ago. Okay, so he's a country squire. Mm-hmm. Lawrence, on the other hand... He used to be a doctor, but left that pretty quickly, and is now trying desperately to be a poet. Oh. Again, the aspirations of a man who really thought that he was coming into money. And what does Alfred do? Marry rich ladies for a living? <laughs> so, the way he happened to be, so uh, there was... Mrs. Inglethorpe had... Uh, ha- well, I should say had a uh, just jack-of-all-trades companion called Evie. And uh, this man, Alfred, showed up saying that he was her... Second cousin or whatever. And she went, oh, okay, sure. And so they gave him a job as Mrs. Inglethorpe's secretary. And then a few months later, bam, married. That's the most suspicious man I've ever heard of in my life. Oh, you should see the look of him. What, does he look very suspicious, does he, Hastings? He looks fake. Fake-looking pince-nez that are gold-rimmed, ridiculously long, ridiculously black beard. He just doesn't look like a real human. I have, a, I have a quick question for I you, I have Hastings. never tried pulling on his beard. I was going to ask you if you'd ever tried pulling on his beard. Is it, a, is it Evie? <laughs> is it Evie pretending to be a man? No, I'm to, pretty sure I've marry? seen I'm pretty sure I've seen them in the same room. Mm. But at the same time, or did, did Alfred step out of the room and then you heard this scruffling of someone taking off a fake beard and then Evie would walk <laughs> in and say, hello, hello, and then walk out uh, and she, for some reason wearing the same clothes you as know, her this second would, cousin. This would have been an interesting thing that happened, with one of the things that happened earlier, because Evie got in a fight with Mrs. Inglethorpe about Alfred and basically gave her a it's him or me ultimatum. And that would be pretty funny if Evie and Alfred were the same person. So she was trying to desperately get out of this double act. <laughs> so she said it was him or me. Pretty much. She, she chose him. Oh, man. Evie let her have it just about how... Uh, he was only after Mrs. Inglethorpe for the money. He was just a horrible rogue. She was making a stupid decision being taken advantage of. And Mrs. Inglethorpe let her have it right back. And Evie quit on the spot. Ooh. And she's now up in one of the bigger towns. But she sent back letters saying, hey, if she wants me back, like if she'll apologize and we can cover all this, I will come back. No wonder you said there was weird, there was some some stuff going on. Oh, that's not even the only fight that happened. It's quite something. I, look, you know, I'm I'm not an eavesdropping type, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, of course not, Hastings. That's why you don't know any of these facts and none of the gossip. (laughs) 
Hey, they tell me things. No, yeah, it just happens. Evie even, when she was leaving, Evie specifically said to me, watch out for all of these vultures here. Without me here to sort of keep Mrs. Inglethorpe a little bit protected from it all, they're all going to turn into disgusting people. They want her money. Oh, she called it. She called it. So yeah, one of the other things that happened, now I didn't get very much of this, I was just passing by, Mary Cavendish, John's wife, was talking to Mrs. Inglethorpe behind a closed door, so I only had a couple of lines. And it, no was, stopping. it was something like Mary saying, well then let me see it. And Mrs. Inglethorpe saying, no, it's got no bearing on that issue. Well then why won't you let me see it if it's got nothing to do with it? Do you have any idea what the it is? No idea. But then, fight number three... I've only heard about this one third hand, really, which is apparently uh, Dorcas overheard a fight going on between Mrs. Inglethorpe and Alfred Inglethorpe after Evie had left. And what was the fight regarding? Good question. I haven't spoken to her about it. Again, third hand information. All right. I might need to speak to this Dorcas. Anything else that Hastings can give me as setting the scene? Some other little facts. John has openly told me both he and Lawrence have no money as a result of this. They're well, of course. hanging on by a thread. And they, and pretty much everyone who lives here, it's a very matriarch system. Mm. Mrs. Inglethorpe will just say, oh, Cynthia, do this for me. Oh, John, do that. It's your turn to do that. And everyone just pretty much has to wait on her because she controls it all. Of course. She has to do that. So, yeah, she has Cynthia and Mary end up doing... A lot of work for her, despite the 8,000 maids that the house has. Of course. Mm. Let's see. Oh, that day, a whole bunch of us went into town, Mrs. Inglethorpe included. She said that she had a bunch of letters that she was going to send, so she got back to the house earlier. We stayed and we visited Cynthia at work and had tea with her there. And then when we came back home, this Mrs. Inglethorpe, this is when she was flustered. All afternoon, all evening, she just seemed in a very agitated mood. And that's when we heard about this fight with Evie, this fight with Alfred that Dorcas yeah. heard. So, so sorry, had she joined you on that trip into town? We had all gone to town together and then we thought it would be a good idea to go visit Cynthia because we saw we were near her hospital. And she said, yeah, that's fine. I've got some letters to do at home. I'll drop you here. She didn't go and see Cynthia? She did not. And from that point, she's been agitated? Uh, since we got home and saw her, yes. Interesting. Well, it looks like I'll need to start my investigation now, Hastings. And there's a few questions that I have. Obviously, motive is important. Money is clearly... Oh, sorry, Hastings, if you just take one step back, I'm entering my mind palace. Oh, gotcha. My eyes glaze over. Money is clearly part of the motive. And it's worth noting that Alfred was with the estate agent. Do we know what happens in our, like what Alfred's will is? Do we know what... What, what Alfred's will is. Well, or what Miss Ingalls... Are we assuming all the money goes to Alfred or is she leaving the money to the children? Oh. I haven't seen the will. Yeah, goodness. Uh, I assume all that sort of thing will start to arise in a couple of days once the lawyers have gotten Yes, it'll be definitely involved. an interesting thing to look at. Of course, if it is poison, we also have to look at how the poison was ingested and who could have got the poison to her. Who had the opportunity to poison a brandy or a coffee or a meal? If it is indeed strychnine... Who has access to strychnine? Obviously, Cynthia has access to poisons galore. But in that case, so may her friends. So may her enemies. And in fact, all of you went to see Cynthia. Perhaps someone could have gotten some poison then. You know what? Look, I don't want to say anything against Cynthia. She's a lovely girl. But 
it was her that Mrs. Inglethorpe said, bring me my coffee right before going to bed. So the poison girl was the one who brought the coffee. That wasn't all that she asked Cynthia to do either. A bit later, so she got the coffee. Got the coffee. Then Mrs. Inglethorpe came back out and said, get my despatch case. Case full of letters sending and receiving and all of that. Interesting. And that was the last time that we saw her up and about. She had her coffee in her hand at that point. Did we ever see the letter she intended to send? No, I have no idea what any of that was. Mm, that might be a, a, a big clue, mm. as they say. All right. Well, I think it's time for Poirot to begin his investigations. Well, that's good because the next chapter, I think, is called Poirot Investigates. Solve This Murder is created by Bill Sunderland and Danny Siller as part of the Consume This Media network. To find out more about all of our shows, you can head to consumethismedia.com. If you want to try your hand at solving this murder yourself, send your current theory in to solvethismurderpod at gmail.com and you may end up on our wall of detectives. If you enjoyed part one and you cannot wait another week for the next part and to see where this mystery concludes, our Patreon donors at www.patreon.com slash consume this media will have all parts of this mystery available to them right now. So if you're the sort of person who enjoys binging and just needs to hear that answer, that's where you'll find it. A special thank you to Jared, Devon and Wit from the podcast Advanced Sagebrush and Shootouts for creating our theme music. And thanks to all of you for listening.